0: Greetings and welcome to the Audio-Etheric Transmission, The Tales of Sage and Savant. Our tale stars Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. If you want to learn more of the stories of Sage and Savant and the reasons why I record these broadcasts, you can pick up our book, Transmigrations, available on our website and everywhere books are sold. If you like our show and would like to help us do what we do, go to patreon.com/sageandsavant and become a supporter. This month's program, entitled "The Last Person," is sponsored by Wi-Fi Sci-Fi and features the music of Avital Raz. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant.
1: to leave me.
2: There is no pulse. She's gone. She's she's dead. I killed her. Petra.
0: <laughs> An empty and echoing silence is the only answer to the professor's plea. I cannot describe the emptiness. When the doctor sleeps or is unconscious, the sense of her presence remains, like the gentle touch of a lover's breath against closed eyelids. You cannot see it, but it is there. And though Lucy most often fast-forwards past these moments, I can access them, should I wish. For weeks now, if I wished to connect with Petronella Sage, I could. But now... No, 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 no!
1: This is not how we say goodbye! Professor? I will not stand for it! You promised, Petronella, you said death is no barrier to your life,
2: so prove it! The Professor, she is gone. I'm sorry. But
0: then we will get her back. Go! Bring me a prayer bowl, now! I don't think Whatever protest I... Abigail had thought to make, it died on her lips as she looked into the anguished eyes of her friend. Without another word, she hurried into the main laboratory and pulled down the suspended chair that gave them access to the rafters. Clockwork gears ratcheted through the links of a brass chain and winched Abigail aloft in the chair to the rack of prayer bowls suspended high above the center dais. She gently loosed the clamps holding the bowls, scooping two of them into her lap. She re-engaged the clamps for the remaining bowls and then pulled two of the small wooden clubs loose from the clockwork arms that wielded them. A quick reversal of the lever and the chair lowered itself back to the laboratory floor.
2: Here, Professor. What are you thinking? We're going to recall our consciousness. Um, I'm not sure we can without the Cladney. Was there a Cladney when she recalled me from Senegal? Well, no, but neither of us was ever sure that we did recall you. You had said that you were about to perish from thirst. I mean...
1: No. No, it was Petra. I'm sure of it. She recalled me because that's what she does. She looks death in the eye and says, No. I plan on following her example. Now help me. (laughs) Come on, pet. Come home. We're here waiting for you. Come on. Come on. Come on!
2: I'm sorry, Erasmus. It, it doesn't seem to be working.
1: Then we need the clotney. I'll get one. You tend to her. Make sure she isn't bleeding. Give her more air.
2: Petra, if you're there, if you can hear me, come back. I fear Erasmus will come apart if you don't. Please. Do you know how to bow this thing? Yes. Can you do both bowls? I think having a cord might be important.
1: I think I can manage. <gasps> Petra! Oh, Petra!
2: Why, why why, won't she respond? Petra, I'm here, love. It's all right, Erasmus. She's breathing. Uh, but still under Anastasia. She won't wake up for a while yet. I need to sterilize these. Can you get me some boiling water? Erasmus. Professor!
3: Yes,
1: sorry. Just. I am loath to stop touching her.
0: What if she stops breathing again? Which
2: is precisely why I must finish the surgery as fast as
0: possible. Help me. In spite of shaking hands, Abigail's resolve is unwavering as she sterilizes the instruments and refreshes the stack of gauze bandages on her tray. By the time the surgical supplies are ready, her hands are steady once again.
2: I was just about to remove the molybdenum hoop when Petra... When she... uh, So I need to pull that free using these needle-nose grips... Then I'll need to suture quickly to prevent as much blood loss as possible. I need you to sponge the area clean if the blood wells up. I have to be able to see what I'm doing. Can you manage that?
0: He manages. Abigail removes the offending ring, sutures closed the incision, and prepares to replace the piece of bone to seal the skull.
2: Can you lift the sheet from her abdomen?
0: I'm not sure I understand
1: why brain surgery requires an incision in the stomach.
2: One of the greatest challenges to brain surgery has been keeping the removed flap of skin and bone alive during the procedure. Since Walther in 1821, we have practiced autologous cranioplasty, storing the removed bone and tissue in a subcutaneous flap in the stomach. This keeps the removed tissue at proper temperature and reduces the chance of infection through exterior contaminants. I chose this method because it was obviously how they did the surgery in the first place. Reopening a sealed but not yet healed wound will result in less scarring. I hope.
1: I will really never get over the barbarianism of the surgical arts. How did we possibly develop these techniques? What made man first think, I should cut him open in order to fix what's wrong with him?
2: (laughs) Not to put too fine a point on it, but I imagine it stemmed from her understanding of meat as food. Once we butchered animals, it was not long before we recognized that our own bodies were just meat as well. Then, as we began animal husbandry, the need to treat accidental wounds in our flocks would naturally lend to applying those techniques to our children and families as well. At its heart, the surgical arts, like all of medicine, are an attempt to stave off death by accident or disease. There. I'm not sure the bone will graft together. Being levered off again might have damaged the edges too much, but that is everything back in its place. Is she still breathing smoothly?
1: Yes, thank goodness. You sounded just like her then, by the way. I did? Yes, the lecture you gave as your hands worked to save the doctor, mixing the practical and the philosophical. The medical world will be poor for not having your skills as doctor.
2: I prefer to think of it as the animal world being enriched by my skills. After all, we're all God's creatures, and I personally think the understanding of the health and wellness of the animals and, in fact, the Earth itself is critical to the well-being of us all.
0: When the surgery was cleaned and the doctor transferred into her own bed, Abigail fell comfortably asleep on the settee in the atrium, and Erasmus perched himself on a chair at his beloved's side. The doctor regained consciousness a few hours later, but she was awake only long enough to drink a cup of tea and to use the chamber pot. For the next 48 hours, Erasmus barely slept, tending to Petra's needs with careful solicitation, grabbing random catnaps as she slept. He finally succumbed to his own exhaustion, nodding off in his chair and slumping forward until his head was cradled on the pillow of her thighs.
4: This brings back memories. What? What? Your head on my thighs. That was how we began our transmigration journeys. Remember?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, That first disaster event. Oh, how are you feeling, my love? My head hurts.
4: But not as much as it did before.
1: Are you alone in there?
4: Yes. The only ghost in my head is me. (laughs) Help me sit up, will you? Thank you. It is probably going to be a while before I'm steady on the pins again, isn't it?
1: Yes, but we can help, Abigail and I. If you let us do the heavy lifting, we should still be able to transmigrate. After all, Your body can recuperate without you in it. Thank you, friend.
4: But perhaps it's best we don't transmigrate while I heal. Now, don't look so shocked. I'm trying to be sensible here.
1: (laughs) I don't want to look a gift horse in the mouth, but I never thought I'd see the day when Petronella Sage said, Slow down. Proceed with caution.
4: And look where my ambition took me. I began my investigations with the desire to make a difference, to discover ways that science can be used to benefit mankind. And somehow, I got caught up in a quest to create the ultimate diagnostic tool. If a physician could just experience what the patient was feeling, then we could better diagnose the problem. Oh, never mind if that version of a diagnosis was an assault. It's all for the good of the patient, right? Oh, Erasmus, when I think of doing that, when I realize that I'm no better than the man who tried to bend me to his will, how can I ever justify that?
1: It was you who told me that the history of the surgical arts is bloody and violent, but always that violence was in service of the greater good. Forward progress has often been defined by brutality.
4: I know those are my justifications, but that does not help.
1: I still believe in your work. I believe that transmigration is an unparalleled tool, one that can be used for good. How can you be
4: so sure?
1: We followed you to the future. Abigail and I met a young man who uses a different sort of co-op perception, one that does not cause distress or harm. Justin is able to be in our heads in yours. He might even be in our heads now.
4: What? But... I don't feel. There's no...
1: Yes. Justin calls co-apperception telesensation. It was developed from your original notes. I have so much to tell you, so much of the future, of your work, and the things we need to do to keep that work safe.
0: Will Savant succeed in reigniting the doctor's passion for her work? Or will the stain of assault cause her to turn away from transmigration altogether? We'll find out after this short musical break. And now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the talented melodical expressions of Avital Raz. ¶¶ i yeah. And now, back to our story. When we left our heroes, they were in the recovery room after brain surgery, and the doctor was demonstrating an alarming lack of ambition. Ladies and gentlemen, I have tried from the moment I accepted the charge of honest reporting on the inner lives and outer adventures of Dr. Petronella Sage and Professor Erasmus Savant, to clearly describe the thoughts and actions of our two adventurers. Telesensation gives me access to their thoughts and feelings, but it cannot detangle the skein of emotions nor provide illumination where none exists. The fact is, we humans are contradictory and baffling creatures. We feel a myriad of conflicting emotions all at once. Even with the distance that Lucy affords me, it is at times difficult to parse truth from fiction, wishes from decisions. What I can tell you is that for the first time since I began this task, Petronella Sage feels uncertain about how to proceed. Abigail, will you join me for tea?
2: As soon as I fed the lizards. Lemon? Yes, thank you. You have a bit more color to your cheeks this morning. How's the head? It
4: hurts less every day, and the bone seems to be knitting well. You did a
2: good... You did a great job with the surgery, Abigail. (laughs) I don't think you can call any surgery where a patient dies on the table great. (laughs) Well, maybe not, but you brought me back and fixed my
4: head, so I'm grateful nonetheless. How goes the residency?
2: I got to fix the broken foreleg on a mare yesterday. The new copper alloy bones are a remarkable achievement, and the clockwork exoskeleton for support during healing is a game changer. It is hard to believe that just a few years ago we shot any horse with a broken leg. Remarkable. Is there
4: any chance we'll bring that technology into human trials? That would certainly seem to be the plan. I'm certain Dr. McNeish would love to add artificial bones to his achievement of limb
2: reattachment. Limb reattachment was your work, no matter what McNeish says. I'm certain the society will see that and correct their attributions for the future. But Petra, I hope you don't mind me saying I have never known you to dwell on such concerns. Your focus has always been on the future and what you can achieve. Why this sudden, I don't know, caution? Did Erasmus
4: put you up to speaking with me? He is concerned. We both are. Perhaps you are right maybe i have lost focus or it is possible i've just had brain surgery twice and i need some time to recuperate isn't that always the advice the two of you have hounded me
2: with slow down petra where's the fire petra rest petra fine then as your friend i suggest you place a time frame on your rest and recuperation Give yourself to the new year, but then get back in the saddle, Petronella Sage. You will never forgive yourself if you fail to complete the research you started.
0: Abigail was right. The doctor needed a framework. Her own ambition had always provided that, but in the circumstances, well, suffice it to say that true friends are a resource too often discounted in the annals of science. Via her friends' prodding and many hours of reflection, Petra reached a point of equilibrium, a willingness to suspend the decisions of her future until after the holidays. To stop for the first time in years, and spend the days fully inhabiting her own body. One,
3: 2 Three. three… reestablished
0: established the exercise oh. regimen she had once decreed to keep the home body in top physical condition. She took time to read the latest papers and research reports from the surgery departments at King's, as well as Edinburgh, Harvard, and Oxford. She spent time with Erasmus and Abigail and shared the story of the rabbit holes she had fallen down. And as the holidays approached, she became more and more her old self. Come on
4: up Erasmus, I'm in the office.
1: Hello, pet. It is official. The college is on winter break, and not a moment too soon. The students shouldn't impact you too much this term, my
4: dear. Aren't you still on teaching leave whilst finishing your book?
1: Yes, but the hall below is far too busy during term, restricting my access to you.
4: Ah, I hadn't thought of that. My own forays below have been so infrequent of late.
1: You'll have to face down McNeish sooner or later.
4: Yes, I realize that. But not today. So are you heading home for the holidays with your folks?
1: No. Father has convinced my mother they should seek the sun for Christmas, and they left for Southern climes this weekend. I'm on my own for Christmas, I'm afraid.
4: What a coincidence. Mother is in Morocco chasing after a particular damask she has her eye on for the redecoration of Karen Rian. I'm on my own as well.
1: And Abigail is off to ten horses in the Scottish borders and will only return on the 23rd.
4: <laughs> so, we are alone at last?
1: <laughs> it seems that way. Whatever shall we do with ourselves?
4: I can think of a few things. But perhaps you should get some supplies.
0: He did not need asking twice. The professor went to town to get bread, wine, cheese, scotch eggs, dates, chutney, sausage pies, and a small box of French chocolates. Enough food for a week for two people. He deposited those purchases on the stairs and immediately went out again, this time returning with a giant armload of down-filled pillows and an extremely fluffy duvet. The doctor met him on the stairs.
4: Bolsters, a duvet, pillows. I can see how you are expecting to spend your time.
1: <laughs> not precisely. I mean, not if you wish otherwise. I just felt it was about time that your body was treated to a more comfortable rest than a narrow bed shoved against a stone wall. I wanted you to have true comfort.
4: I don't think my narrow bed will be comfortable no matter how fine the furnishings.
1: Right. So, um, maybe now is the right time? I mean, well, I have one or more secret to share. Follow me.
0: He led the doctor over to the empty space the elevator once occupied. Le Chargé de l'Affaire had done a hasty job of removing the brass cage and sealing the shaft to prevent discovery from below. The wood that patched the hole in the floor was mismatched and unfinished. The cab of the elevator itself was shoved to the corner, cables coiled beside it like a child's forgotten ribbons. I had the chaps. help me get this up here before we dismantled
1: the lift.
4: (gasps) My... I
1: thought you might appreciate having a proper bed, but in the excitement of your surgery, well, I'd forgotten. No matter. It will be lovely to have a real bedroom, but
4: maybe not in the anteroom to the stairs, now that the only entrance comes through that way.
1: I have a strong back and a determined nature don't we move your office into the room you're currently sleeping in and set up the bed in your office? There's a nice fireplace and it is already quite homey.
0: They spent the afternoon happily rearranging furniture, the most domestic scene the two have shared since the flurried attempt to turn the transmigration room into a bedroom for Miss Penningham's benefit two years before. When the bed was set up, the linens in place, and the duvet properly fluffed, there was a moment of awkward silence.
4: I don't want this to be weird.
0: I don't mind it, by the ancient
1: Scottish meaning at least. I'm sorry. Weird was a person's destiny in old Scotland. I'm okay with this being my destiny. If I am completely honest, I believe you were my destiny from the moment I sat by you at the luncheon.
4: I've never believed in destiny other than that I can make myself.
1: One more way we complement each other in our contrasts. <laughs> but I do not hold the two are incompatible. I believe that we're brought us together. You created a future that sent us on adventures together all through time. You
4: are such a strange man, Erasmus Savant.
1: I am your man, Petronella Sage. Now and always.
4: Good. So feed me.
0: (laughs) Food helped ease the awkwardness, and they relaxed into the type of conversation that had long been the hallmark of their relationship. They shared their fears, their regrets, and their hopes for the future. They reconfirmed their commitment to each other and did their level best to soothe the pain they had caused. The day faded to dusk and then to full night as they drank wine and talked. Erasmus set a fire in the grate, and Petra moved over to stand at his elbow. When he stood from those efforts, it was the most natural thing in the world to take her in his arms. How is your head?
4: My head is fine. And your neck? Mm. Oh, my neck is good.
1: And your breasts? Oh... They're in good shape. I think I should check for myself, if that's what you want.
4: I do believe I desire that,
1: yes. We will take this at your speed, my love. I can stop whenever you need me (sighs) to. And what if I need you to move faster?
0: I think I'll manage that. It should have felt voyeuristic to be there in such an intimate moment. But I was overwhelmed by the strength of their regard for each other. Petra finally giving in to her desire for her friend, Erasmus surrendering any need to direct or control. They were friends and equals in a meeting of minds and bodies. A celebration of honesty and inclusion where two and two do not just make one, they make more. When their passion had run its course, they lay back in an envelope of fine down and satisfaction, and Petra's mind turned to examination.
4: Why do you suppose that was different? We knew each other before.
1: Do you mean our time in the circus?
4: Yes. I've enjoyed the pleasures of the flesh with you before, but this... This was... More? Yes. Uh, Though I don't believe you touched me any different. I don't know how to describe it. I've not had much experience.
1: It's not that my touch moved in a different way. After all, a man can only know what he knows. But this is my hand in your thigh. This is my lungs, filled with the intoxicating scent of you... Our bodies know each other. Our touch, our sense, our fluttering heartbeats. We know these things... better.
4: Hildi's body felt
1: strange to you? Mm, sort of. I mean, some part of me newer, but not the Erasmus part of me. But you... I know you. I know every corkscrew curl, every wrinkle, every bone somehow in your own form you are more you
4: hmm. i wonder how i could test that
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh no you don't we're not letting science into this bed this is our time <laughs> oh <Stop.
0: laughs> okay, okay.
1: <laughs> you
4: win <laughs> no science in bed <laughs>
0: Perhaps we should leave our lovers to their privacy and pause for a word from our sponsor.
1: Hello there, Chip Michael again. It's been a crazy month. What with a special two-part episode? I guess it's out or you wouldn't be listening to this. And a special episode for Wi-Fi Sci-Fi? Now I hear Wi-Fi Sci-Fi is offering you a chance to pick characters from podcasts you love and record anything you want. Be a puppet master and have the characters of your choice read anything up to 100 words long, or write your own fan fiction and get two characters to read the scene. If you're really sadistic, you can pick two characters from two different shows and they'll record a conversation for you. Or, the ultimate choice for aspiring writers, write your own two-minute script with two characters from different shows. We'll record it and you'll have your words in the characters you love to cherish forever. This is your chance to get Petronella, Erasmus, Abigail, or the narrator to say the words you've always thought they should. Or involve your favorite characters from Girl in Space, Oz 9, Moonbase Theta Out, Relativity, or the Ninth World Journal. You pick the characters, you pick the words, we'll bring them to life. Visit Wiifisci-fi.org
0: for more details. Yes, dear friends, you heard it here. However you partake of the Wi-Fi Sci-Fi show, in person in April or via electronic replay, we promise it will be a -a one-of-a-kind experience. And now, back to our show. The days of December ticked by, the doors of our Advent calendars revealing their treasures one by one. Other treasures were revealed on these days as well.
4: Erasmus. Yes, love? You know you are my last
1: person, don't you? Your last person?
4: Yes. The last person I'll think of before I die. Petra... No. No, don't be upset. I died. For real this time. And you know what happened?
1: My heart broke in two.
4: I didn't see a tunnel of light or find the face of God or meet my ancestors or any of the other clichés they speak of. I didn't fret over the science that was left incomplete or the grudges not settled. I thought only of you, my last person, the one who means more to me than all others. You are my last person.
1: And you,
0: I know, are mine, my love. You are my first, my last, my only. And the days flew by in a haze of love until it was the 23rd and Abigail breezed into the laboratory full of holiday spirit and tales from the horse ranch. Hello,
2: all. Did you miss me? Welcome! Uh, home.
0: Hello, Abigail!
1: Oh, let me help with those.
2: Gracious! Are you moving in? <laughs> no, but this will be the first Christmas we have all spent together. Oh, you moved stuff about. Have you given up on sleeping
4: in your laboratory? No. Erasmus thought it was time I had an actual bedroom with a door that is not a major thoroughfare. Good thinking,
2: Professor! Anyway, I stopped at the florist and brought holly and ivy and candles and mistletoe, and I brought sweetmeats and hot cross buns and a Christmas cake.
1: My goodness, what a wonderful celebration we shall have. Oh, be
2: careful with that one. It's an Edison cylinder. An Edison? Whatever for?
4: I have a large store of blanks still. It is not a blank. What is
2: it? Put it on the machine and play back and you'll see. Lovely. I have only ever heard that at the cathedral. I know. This is all the rage. Recordings of live music performances that you can play back in your home. Isn't it marvelous? This is
1: unbelievable. It will have a fantastic effect on everything. Uh, Music on demand. Will people still learn to play the spinet or sing? We we simply rely on mechanical means to bring music into our homes. Well,
4: I don't know about that, but imagine a future where anyone, no matter how remote they live, no matter how rural, could hear a symphony. It would be life-changing.
1: Truly, we live in an age of wonders, electricity, motor cars, invisible seam (laughs) Come,
4: Abigail, let's cut into the Christmas cake and make a toast to the Christmas tide, to science, and to our friends who bring such wonders into our lives.
0: And so the three friends spent the holiday, as we hope you will, in good cheer and good company. There are many worries ahead, but for now, in the amber glow of firelight and the warmth of good whiskey and good conversation, Sage and Savant carve a small moment of perfection, one that will need to sustain them through the tension of the weeks ahead. Soon, Abigail will come to my time once again and we will do our best to develop a plan to foil Lazare du Temps. I have no idea how we can secure the past or the future, but I know that moments like this, golden moments by the fireside. Those precious connections we have forged are worth fighting for. In the spirit of friendship and goodwill, we wish you the happiest of holidays and hope for the new year. The battle for all of our futures will begin in the next episode of The Tales of Sage and Savant. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a twin-star production, brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. Starring Eddie Louise as Sage, Chip Michael as Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Soundtrack music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. The theme song for Season 4 was interpreted and recorded by Victor and the Bully. Special music in this episode was provided by Avital Raz. Check out their amazing music at avitalraz.com. We would like to extend our gratitude to this month's sponsor, Wi-Fi Sci-Fi. Episode 405, Part B, The Last Person, was written by Eddie Louise. Check out our website, sageandsavant.com, to find the facts behind the fiction. If you like our show and would like to help us do what we do, go to patreon.com sageandsavant and become a supporter. Episode 405, Part 2, The Last Person, was written by Eddie Louise. And finally, as always, we urge you to remember that death is no barrier to science.